Good morning and welcome to Copper Country Today, Houghton Community Broadcasting's weekly look at the issues and people that are important to the Keweenaw. I'm Todd Van Dyke. This week, Joe Cooper brings us an update from the Copper Country Humane Society, and Della Giuliano from UPCAP provides advice for interacting with relatives who are dealing with dementia. There's a series of classes beginning soon. Stand by for Copper Country Today. It's brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. When our community is in need, the Portage Health Foundation is here to answer the call. In 2018, we were here on the front lines helping homeowners get their lives back. And now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're right here with the many nonprofits who help serve our community. We've provided funding to Senior Meals, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, and 31 Backpacks. We launched a Wi-Fi hotspot network to help families stay connected, and we have much more planned. If you want to donate to help our community's recovery, visit phfgive.org slash COVID-19 or call 523-5920. Once again, good morning and welcome to Copper Country Today. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Looking forward to a big New Year's holiday coming up. We are looking forward at the radio stations to our annual 12 Dogs of Christmas promotion, which will begin as we air this on Sunday. We'll begin tomorrow morning on Monday, and we'll have a dozen dogs that we'll be trying to find homes for, working in cooperation with the Copper Country Humane Society. And we also use that as an excuse to check in with the Copper Country Humane Society and see how they are going, what things they need, what things you can perhaps help out with. And I welcome in Joe Cooper, who is a board member, the treasurer of this. CCHS board. Joe, welcome back to Copper Country Today. Thanks so much, Todd. Really great to be here and have the opportunity to talk more with you about uh, this great organization, the Copper Country Maine Society. Well, it's a, it is a great organization. I know you say that because you're involved in it, and we all like to puff our things up that we're involved with, but we're talking about a basically volunteer organization that does something that many bigger organizations can't pull off. You're a no-kill shelter. That's correct. And, you know, like you said, it's very much a, a volunteer effort. And, uh, you know, our shelter is truly supported by the community of the Copper Country, you know, and uh, with the donations and the support. Um, but yet it, it makes a big difference in the community for the, the animals here. Let's talk a little bit about that support as we get started here, because it's been a tough year for nonprofits such as the Copper Country uh, Humane Society fundraisers that normally are held have not been held. I'm assuming that we will not be getting together sometime in January for our annual funny Raise the Wolf comedy night because of the COVID-19 situation. How's the financing coming? That's a great question, and I appreciate the opportunity to reflect on that a little bit. And you're right, you know, we have uh, lost some great opportunities that we normally would have had to interact with our community um, you know, like the Race the Woof event and, you know, a lot of other um, events that we would have typically done. But um, we are very optimistic and we just have to say thank you to our community, knowing what a tough time this is for everybody, um, you know, personally and with everything that's going on. Yet we really have seen our community step up uh, to continue to support our animals, both in the forms of, you know, regular adoptions and also in donations. You know, we always say it, it really doesn't matter what the amount of that donation, every little bit is so special and makes such a difference. And throughout the COVID pandemic, we've continued to see those donations come in and to help us get by. Well, that's excellent uh, news. I'm glad to hear that. What about the adoption side of things? Because uh, one of the things that I have heard is that since we've all been kind of homebound and paying attention to what's going on just around the house, that there actually may have been a bit of an increase in people adopting pets. Yeah, you know, and we don't necessarily have specific numbers confirmed, but that's kind of been our take too. And we've been really pleased with that. And obviously due to the limitations, you know, with our ability to physically be open at the shelter throughout certain weeks, we've had times where things, you know, like right now, we even have had to be appointment only so that we continue to protect the safety of our, our limited staff and volunteers there. Um, we have seemed to see an increase in adoptions, I think, as, as more and more folks um, you know, are seeing the ability to, you know, maybe work remotely from home or, um, you know, maybe just, just want a little bit more company and someone else to join their family during that time. Uh, our shelter manager, Becky, has reported that, you know, we do think we've seen an uptick in adoptions, and that's just been great. 
Is there a flip side to this, though, Joe? Because some families have been really stressed financially because of this. A lot of small business owners, a lot of people who work for those small businesses who've been laid off or cut back, lost their jobs. Have there been families that you're aware of that have had to bring their pets in and say, we just can't do it anymore? You know, I I don't think we've seen a lot of that. Certainly that happens, you know, even in non-COVID times. And, um, you know, our our shelter really, uh, a big piece of that for the Copper Country Humane Society is also outreach and support for our local families, whether it be that end result where, you know, if there is a situation where maybe someone does have to surrender an animal, um, or there's other situations where, again, thanks to the generosity of the community, there's been times, uh, for example, you know, during the flood, we had an outpouring of support, you know, where folks donated supplies and even funding to help with those situations. And that's something, again, our shelter manager, Becky, and her team are really great about working one-on-one with folks to see, you know, if there is an additional way we can provide that support and outreach um, so that we can help people kind of weather that storm. I do think you're right, though, in terms of um, you know, those challenges, especially in maybe other communities, the big city areas, where maybe they're not fortunate enough like we are to have that support of that close-knit type community of the Copper Country. Um, but again, you know, thankfully, we've been able to partner with some of those areas. And that's actually where we get a lot of our dogs and cats, um, you know, from shelters that are a little bit more overflowing. And we're able to bring them up here where, you know, we have a better chance of adopting them out. Yeah, I just find that amazing as I have followed this over the years that we not only are able to find homes for all of the pets that come from, that originate here in the Copper Country, but we're able to help out other shelters and in many cases save the lives of those animals because some of those other shelters would not be able to maintain them if we weren't able to take them. Yes, it really is incredible. And again, the, the credit to that goes back out to our community, the, the everyday folks within, you know, the QAnon, the Copper Country, for all the great they do with, you know, supporting, you know, our organization and really, you know, looking to us first when they're looking for a new friend uh, to join their family. And, you know, I have to give a shout out too again to our, our shelter manager and staff and that when we have these transports happen, you know, there's there's really no easy way to do this, right? We work a lot with um, an organization in Saginaw, downstate, which, as you know, is quite a long drive, and it's not uncommon, you know, that pretty regularly our shelter manager will hop in a, uh, a cargo van and, you know, drive all the way down there, or in some cases meet, you know, another shelter halfway to do the handoff, and uh, it's quite an incredible operation. Well, and Saginaw is a much different area than the Copper Country. There are a lot of uh, a lot of city residences there where we tend to have a lot more residences that are a little bit out in the country. People can perhaps have a, a couple of dogs where in Saginaw, maybe one or maybe none. Uh, they have a lot of rental housing down there where people have to move and are not able to take animals with them. So I would suspect that there's probably a higher rate of having to give up animals in that area and people who can't afford to maintain their animals in that area. And I can see why a shelter like that would perhaps be a little bit more challenged. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, you know, it really is a a great benefit that we're able to partner with organizations like that because it truly is mutually beneficial, right? It's great for the animals. It's great for the folks up here, you know, in the Houghton area. And it's especially great for that shelter down there so that, you know, those, those folks can continue to serve their missions, much like ours, and continue then to help their community take in animals and, you know, make sure they're saving as many lives as possible. I think the other thing that makes us a little bit different than some of those areas is that we really don't have a pet store here. Mm -hmm. There are, in the bigger cities, there are pet stores, and unfortunately sometimes uh, involved with puppy mills and things like that. Certainly we have breeders here in the area who can supply dogs of certain types if people are interested, but we don't seem to have that uh, retail end of things flooding animals into the market from time to time. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, that's certainly not as common here. And I think in general, it's just the overall attitude of our community that's gotten really used to, you know, um, where to go first. You know, I'm going to go look at, you know, the Copper Country Humane Society. And there's also times where folks may, you know, look down to our other community partners like UPAWS and Marquette, you know. Um, I think in general, if you're looking for that next addition to your family, uh, we certainly hope you'll explore it to, you know, Copper Country Humane Society first. But, you know, any shelter, you know, it's usually a great option. But I do think you're right. I think there's, you know, less of those um, options up here, thankfully, and 
where people are just starting at the shelter as they explore things. Yeah, I have a sister who lives in Chicago, and she's a very wonderful and soft-hearted person. And one of her dogs is one that was on sale at a pet store in a mall. It was the last one in the window, and they had marked it down to half price. And she said no dog should ever have to be marked down to half price. So she bought it and took it home. We don't see that here. No, we we really don't. And uh, uh, that pretty much sums it up. You know, I think that's the attitude that uh, our shelter staff and our board have here is that, you know, a dog is a dog, a cat is a cat. And every now and then even some other, you know, random animals that we may have in there that we try to find special homes for. But every dog, every cat, you know, every animal has, you know, a story, a background, and we just want them to go to a good future home, which ultimately will be their forever home. How often do you get other types of animals? Had a story on the morning show the other day about a shelter out in Portland, Oregon, that had to take in 250 guinea pigs. How often does that happen? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's occasional. Um, and thankfully, it's it's never anything too strange. Uh, again, our, our shelter staff are just great about that, and they really are um, intentional then about trying to, you know, find homes specifically for those. You know, it's not uncommon every now and then we, you know, um, have, you know, a bunny or guinea pigs, or I think even one time they said we somehow got, you know, uh, a chicken or something like that. And so it's not too common, but, you know, our staff works really hard, even though we, we focus on dogs and cats, you know, for those random situations, we of course help when and as we can and always try to help with our, our local, you know, law enforcement partners when they, you know, encounter an animal that maybe they don't know what to do with or something and, you know, try to help with that. Sure, because we don't have a, a an official legal pound up here. We used to used to talk about the dog pound, which the right. city or the county would maintain, and that's where strays would be taken. You basically serve that function for for our area. We do, and you know, I have to thank the the you know local surrounding counties who you know help support us in that endeavor, and of course, our local law enforcement and city and township and county officials that support us in that. But yes, we are fortunate we now work very closely with you know law enforcement so that if they encounter you know a stray dog or a cat you know they actually have access to our facility work closely with our shelter staff so that you know we can get the animal right in especially in the winter season you know get the animal warm and make sure they're safe Talking with Joe Cooper from the Copper Country Humane Society, our 12 Dogs of Christmas program will kick off tomorrow on Monday, and we will have a dozen dogs that we'll be looking to try to find homes for with help from the Copper Country Humane Society. And if you'd like to follow that along, of course, all of our stations, all three of our stations will be participating in that. And you can go to any one of our station websites, and you can find out more about what will be happening. You mentioned law enforcement, Joe. Do you have many cases? here in the Copper Country where we have to deal with animal abuse? Um, you know, thankfully, I, I would say it's it's not too frequent. Unfortunately, just like most places, it does and may happen. Um, you know, we certainly would prefer that's not the case, but um, thankfully, you know, as, as best as we can working with law enforcement, you know, our law enforcement tries as best as they can handle those situations. Things do have to go through the legal system accordingly, but there's also protocols in place for that, you know, with, um, for instance, how long then we can or have to hold pets before or hold animals before adopting them. But again, we're, I think we're pretty fortunate to have the type of partners in the community that we do, which all kind of want the best, you know, for the animals. It is that time of year when families talk about pets. We're, of course, airing a couple of days after Christmas. Sometimes we try to get this on before Christmas so we can talk about the appropriate way to give a pet for Christmas. But it is the time of year when that seems to be addressed. Um, How do people go about adopting a pet through the Humane Society? Sure. Um, you know, it, again, it looks a little bit different right now, potentially, given, you know, the, the COVID times and everything. But typically, the first thing that we would do, and right now, you can still do this by appointment only, you know, if you're interested in an animal and everything, is we want you to be able to meet that animal first, right? And, you know, you can make an appointment, you can come in, we have a designated space or for dogs to be able to walk the dog outside and just meet to see how, you know, y'all mesh and make sure that, you know, animal may be a good fit. 
for your family. And sometimes people, you know, have a few different meetings with that animal just to kind of make sure there's other situations where if this is going to be a, uh, you know, a second dog in your home, you might bring in, you know, the dog that you already have to, you know, do a quick meet and greet and make sure that everything seems okay. Um, otherwise, we have an adoption application on there. And you know, we do ask for references as well, typically, because we want to make sure, like I said, that this is going to be a good fit and that this is going to be a forever home for that dog or that cat. But again, our staff is super helpful, even during these times right now, with making sure that, you know, we can schedule a time for you to come in and meet that animal, um, you know, if you are interested in adopting. But, you know, like you said, especially around the holidays, it should be treated as a big decision. Either way, it is a big decision, you know, when you're looking to, you know, adopt a new a new family member there. And, uh don't want folks to take it lightly. You know, once this decision is made, we want that to be something that's going to be forever. Yeah, absolutely. This is not an impulse buy because it's something that you are committed to for sometimes 10, 15 years or more. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So uh, what kind of work does your staff do with these animals when they first come in to try to identify what kind of home they might be best suited for? Hmm. That's a great question. So there's there's a lot of time spent first with our, our animals from our shelter staff, just kind of observing and evaluating them. And a lot of times, too, at least from what I've been told, you know, the animals first just need time to decompress a little bit. And they're often very clear, you know, on the website uh, or even in our social media posts where we say, hey, this animal really needs to be seen outside of their kennel, right? Because sometimes that can be pretty scary, right? A lot of animals can be anxious when they're in there. And that's like what I said before, where you get to meet them in, you know, more of a, a different room setting or be able to take that dog for a walk. But our staff does a great job of observing, um, checking on temperament. And, you know, there's a lot of things that they look at, you know, how that animal is with other dogs or other cats, how they are around food or toys. And that's how they try to make that determination, too. And you'll see this on our website a lot of times where they try to note, you know, if this animal is most likely good with other dogs or not, or if they need to be the only dog in the house. Are they good with cats or is this cat good with dogs? Um, and also even kids, you know, and sometimes it's not even a matter of, you know, the dog's temperament or attitude. Sometimes it's a size matter, too. As you know, you know, there's a lot of big dogs out there that don't know they're big dogs. And we just want <laughs> folks to remember that, that it could be easy for that dog to knock a, a small child over. My family rescued a Great Dane once. I know oh, that wow. feeling. Yes. And and she thought she was a lap dog. She would climb yes. up on my lap. And man, I'm here to tell you, Great Danes have really bony knees. <laughs> <laughs> She was, uh, she, she was something. She was a member of our, our family for a while, many years ago. Um, in terms of, of, of uh, people coming in and, and getting a pet, what is the cost that's involved? Uh, sure. The cost for that for dogs is going to be $90 to adopt a dog. And for um, cats, I believe it's $60, if I'm not mistaken. It is going to be a little bit more for puppies when we have them. But again, a little bit more rare, but the nice thing about that is with the cost, um, you know, when you adopt from us, that dog or that cat is already going to be totally vaccinated, caught up on whatever vaccinations they need. We're going to have tested them to make sure that, you know, there's no other underlying health issues or anything like that. And really nice, um, they come microchipped as well. And that's just a really great thing so that, you know, if that animal ever gets lost and, you know, picked up by another shelter or veterinary office, they're able to identify and get in contact with you about that. So again, we try to take care of that beforehand to make sure that, you know, saving, you know, um, you know, you, the folks that are coming to adopt a little bit more work. If I'm coming to adopt, because uh, obviously veterinary care is an expense that comes along with this, as you mentioned, uh, is there somebody who'll talk to me about the potential costs involved, what uh, I'm going to have to pay out for food, what I'm going to have to pay out for veterinary care? Yeah, and you know, that's that's funny you say that because, you know, when, when I adopted uh, my beagle, who now is part of our family, um, gosh, probably around 10 years ago or so now, that was one of the questions I asked, Todd, because um, I, just, I just wasn't sure. And, uh, you know, our staff is really helpful talking about that and even getting a little bit more specific about, you know, the potential breed, because obviously, you know, certain breeds may have certain other challenges, depending on, you know, their age and their size and things like that. And of course, the food consumption, right, Todd? You sure. talked about that Great Dane. Yeah, lots of food. 
<laughs> lots of food. And so those are questions I ask too, you know, like what, what type of chow would you recommend? Um, is there, you know, a, a vet you'd recommend? And thankfully I, I speak very highly of all the vets in our area and we actually work with all of them. Um, and super helpful for that. But, uh, yeah, our staff is great about answering those questions that, you know, you might think are silly questions. They're not silly questions at all. We're glad to help about that. Yeah, we had the Great Dane for a year, and in that year, I mean, she was emaciated when we got her. She was an abuse victim. Oh. And in that year, she gained 80 pounds. Oh, wow. So that's a lot of food. That's a lot of food intake. <laughs> that's a lot of food intake. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the veterinarians in the area, because I know that you work closely with them, and they assist you regularly? They do. They assist us regularly for various different things. Um we continue to find them um, extremely, extremely responsive and helpful, especially in those emergency situations that we hope we don't experience too frequently, right? But it's not uncommon where, you know, if we've, you know, had a call from law enforcement and we have an injured animal that, you know, is found on the side of the road, you know, our shelter manager works with our local veterinarians and, you know, they are extremely responsive and um, we are just so grateful for, for them for their support. I work with uh, some of them through the Copper Dog 150 each year, and they're a great group of people. They really are. Um, they really are. So let's say I'm in an awkward situation. Uh, either financially, I'm no longer able to take care of my animal. I'm going to have to give it up. My family situation has changed. I'm going to have to move into an apartment. I can't take my animals with me. Um, or I've just gotten to a point where I'm too old. I can't handle that animal anymore. How do I approach the Humane Society for some help with that and maybe taking the animal in and finding it another home? Yeah, I appreciate this. You know, it's a very, very sensitive and delicate situation, right? Because, you know, we, we genuinely know that, you know, no one wants to get to that situation, but sometimes there may be circumstances that are beyond control and it does require that. Um, you know, contact the Humane Society, contact Copper Country Humane Society. You can call, you can send us a message on our Facebook, you can, you know, email us through our website. Um, but talk to us first to, one, just explore the opportunity or the options that you may have, because sometimes maybe there are other financial options that may be there that could provide a little support if it's something short term. Um, but, you know, if it is a case where, you know, you you do know that you have to ultimately give that animal up. We certainly want to do all we can to find them a good home. And information is so helpful. And that way we get to talk to you about that animal and hear about, you know, their needs and their history. That helps us, you know, find that animal uh, the perfect home they're going into. What we really want to avoid is, unfortunately, there are occasionally situations where someone drops off, you know, a dog or a cat in the pen that we have outside of our shelter overnight. And the unfortunate thing then is, well, while we appreciate, you know, that that animal is going to be safe, um, we don't know anything about that animal, not even their name. And uh, that can be really hard for us. So please contact our office. There's, there's no judgment or anything like that. We understand life happens. We just want what you want, which is what's best for that animal. Well, and this must be a very stressful time for the animals who are used to a routine of some sort, whether it be good or bad. All of a sudden, they're in another place. They're surrounded by other animals. There are strange people there. They're in a completely new routine. They're in a crate much of the time, perhaps. This has to be hard on them. Exactly. It is. Just like, you know, you and I experience, you know, stress and anxiety, Todd, the animal is feeling that too. And again, you know, if you've been their family, um, you know, at least do what we can to, you know, get their information and find out more about them so that we can, um, you know, find them a good place going forward. Joe Cooper is my guest on the first segment here of Copper Country Today from the Copper Country Humane Society. So let's talk about volunteers. I know it's been challenging because of the COVID-19 situation over the past months, but what kind of volunteer help do you need with the Humane Society to help make sure that your operations continue smoothly? Great question. Um, you know, obviously it's been a little bit different in, you know, the last however many months with what our volunteering opportunities look like. We certainly have had, you know, outside opportunities where people could safely rake leaves and, you know, uh, do some cleanup outside or in our sheds for us. Uh, once we get back to normal, we'll again, you know, continue our normal inside volunteering with helping, you know, cleaning up the kennels and, you know, even more dog walking and things like that. 
um, we, we really continue to have a great relationship, I have to say, with, um, you know, students at Michigan Tech and Finlandia and Gogebic. Frequently, we get outreach from those folks asking, you know, what can I do? Can I help? We had a wonderful fraternity for Michigan Tech, I believe it was Delta Upsilon, that came out and um, did some outdoor work for us this past um year. And so otherwise, you know, in the meantime, small donations are helpful too. I know it's not the same as volunteering, but people often ask, what do you need? And um, I believe we maintain a list on our website and we'll put a call out on social media when there's specific items, but anything from, you know, bleach to paper towels, um, cleaning supplies, things like that, you know, we certainly always welcome that. And again, the community is extremely responsive and supportive. And it's not a sexy way to donate, but money is always helpful because then you can use that to purchase whatever you need. That's exactly correct. And, you know, we have so many different ways that you can contribute. You can do that online through our website, um, you know, using a a credit or debit card. You can send us, you know, a a check, you know, the old-fashioned way in the mail, as many folks do. Um, We're P.O. Box 453 in Houghton, Michigan, 49931, and folks do send us donations. And again, whether that donation is for $5 or $100, it really doesn't matter. We are just so thankful for the support from our community. We have so many folks that continue to give no matter what the situation is, uh, you know, with the economy or with their own situation. Um, It's just been, been really helpful for that. And Joe Cooper from the Copper Country Humane Society, we're looking forward to working with you again on our 12 Dogs of Christmas campaign, which begins tomorrow. Follow that on the air and on our websites. And thank you for your time this morning on Copper Country Today. Thank you. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Our program brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Find out more about them at phfgive.org. We'll be back in a moment. The Portage Health Foundation is a proud sponsor of Copper Country Today. This legendary weekly radio program has gone on for decades and has helped listeners dive into important issues here in Michigan's Keweenaw Peninsula. Now, more than ever, we need this kind of in-depth local storytelling in our world. That's why we're happy to help take it to the next level by sponsoring the radio show's debut as a podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Simply search Copper Country Today. Learn more about Portage Health Foundation by visiting phfgive.org. Welcome back to the second portion of Copper Country Today. Of course, we're brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Find out more about them at phfgive.org. It is the time of year when we tend to see family members that sometimes we don't get to see at other times of the year. I know we've been told to keep the holiday travel to a minimum, but I think there are still people who are getting together with family members, and particularly with aging family members. We kind of look and we say, gosh, how are they doing? Are they staying on top of things physically? And are they staying on top of things mentally? There is a series of classes coming up on dealing with people who are going through dementia. It's an online series of classes that's being offered by UpCap, and it will begin in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about dementia in general with Della Giuliano, who is the healthcare educator from uh, UpCap, and she is the one who's put this uh, series of programs together. And we'll We'll talk about the programs, but I first, uh, first, Della, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Let's start with a definition because I think that there are a lot of people who get confused here. Uh, the program is about people who are dealing with dementia. We also hear the term Alzheimer's disease. Is there a difference? What is the difference? I'm going to back you up all the way to the beginning, if that's okay. And I'm going to sure. tell you, first of all, what dementia is not. Okay. Dementia is not a normal part of aging. Everyone slows down as they age. It might take a little longer to process information or respond to a question, or we may occasionally forget a name or where we put the car keys. And that's all normal. Dementia and Alzheimer's go way beyond forgetting a name or losing the car keys. So now to get to your question, uh, so dementia is a group of symptoms that affect memory, thinking, and social abilities to the point where it interferes with daily life. Dementia comes on gradually. People who are fine one minute but suddenly become confused or disoriented or unable to do normal tasks, those people need to get immediate medical attention. 
dementia is caused when nerve cells and their connectors in the brain are damaged or lost. And many things can cause dementia. And one of those things is Alzheimer's disease. Um, Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. And um, I think that answers your question. It does. Basically, you're saying that Alzheimer's disease is dementia, but not all dementia is Alzheimer's disease. Uh, basically, yes. Alzheimer's is one of the most common causes of dementia. What have we so learned? People... Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just, I was just going to say that people um, that have Alzheimer's disease have dementia. There has been so much research done into this over the past uh, 15 or 20 years. What are we learning about what causes this? What are we learning about uh, ways that we might put it off? Well, that's a really good question. Um, Like I said, there are many things that cause dementia. Um, As a matter of fact, it's estimated that there are at least 50 different causes of dementia, Alzheimer's being the number one cause. Um, There's also things like vascular dementia, which is caused by damage to the vessels that supply blood to your brain. There's Lewy body dementia, which is another common type of progressive dementia. Um, Often people have a combination of these diseases. And then some disorders are linked to dementia, um, like Huntington's disease, Parkinson's disease, Traumatic brain injury can cause dementia. And then there's also things that cause dementia-like symptoms that may be reversed with medical treatment. And these things can be like an infection, an immune disorder, thyroid problems, low blood sugar, vitamin deficiencies, medication side effects. Um, even long-term heavy drug or alcohol use, dehydration, and that's just a few of the, a list of many things that can cause symptoms like dementia. So again, it's really important for people to talk to their healthcare professional if they have any of those symptoms that are dementia-like. And things that we can do to prevent dementia, you know, there's some things that we can't prevent. We can't prevent um, our age, that's a risk factor. You know, the older we get, the more likely our chance of getting dementia. We can't change the fact that we were born into a family that has dementia. And again, that increases our risk of having a dementia um, if our family members have it. Some of the things that we can do, though, is to he- keep a healthy brain Keep a healthy body, um, keep your brain active, exercise is so important, eating well, you know, doing puzzles, keeping that mind going. Um, one, of the, one of the great classes that UPCAP offers is a brain health class. I hope to offer that again sometime in the spring, and that's a really wonderful um, overview of how to keep that brain of yours active and healthy because an active brain, you know, helps at least stave off some of the symptoms that you might get early. We don't think about, we don't think about brain fitness very much, do we? I mean, I look at my waistline, which has gotten way larger (laughs) than it should have, and I at least feel guilty about it. I don't think about my brain fitness. It's, that's very common. You know, who does? I don't think anybody does. Um, and, and it's so important because, like I said, keeping, keeping a healthy brain, um, you know, helps, helps you in the long run with your mind and um, the effects that it has on the body. Talking with Della Giuliano from UpCap about uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. Dementia is the wider definition of what some people go through, particularly later on in life. And, of course, when somebody enters those phases of dementia, then it becomes a challenge for those around them as well, who become caregivers, who become people who watch over them. Let's say, Della, that I visited my elderly parents' 
over the Christmas holiday here, which I did not because of the COVID, but let's pretend that I did. And I started to notice that mom or dad was slower than they've been in the past, uh, uh, that they lost some things a couple of times. How can I start to tell the difference between what you described as a natural progression of aging and perhaps a more serious problem that they might be developing? That's a great question. Um, Memory loss is the number one warning sign of dementia. However, um, it's not occasionally forgetting where you put your car keys or not being able to remember a name during a conversation and then remembering it later. Um, You know, we all slow down a little bit as we age. That's very normal. When it becomes evident that it's more than just the normal memory loss is when it starts disrupting daily life. Um, Often this memory loss is noticed by a spouse or a family member or someone else. You know, it's, it's things like increasingly forgetting recently learned information or asking for the same information over and over. Um, constantly forgetting important dates or events. And I don't mean just once in a while. I mean, you know, constantly. And like I said, memory loss is the most common sign, but just having memory loss doesn't mean you have dementia. That's just one of the the telltale signs. Yeah, I sat uh, near a friend at church some years ago, and uh, I knew that he was developing dementia. And I think he told me the same story five times as we mm-hmm. sat after church, and every time I just look at him and smile and said, gee, that's nice. You know, thank you for telling me that, yeah. because he yeah. was just repeating it on and on and on. That would be a sign, too, I suspect? Yes, it certainly can be. And, and one of the things that I want to mention also is that because there are so many different causes of dementia, and there are so many people in the world, not, all, not everybody gets the same signs and symptoms. Some people get, you know, a ton of different signs and symptoms. Some people, not so many. So, you know, knowing the person that you're talking with um, and understanding what they what they were like before um, is often a very good way to be able to judge, you know, any changes. One of the challenges that we have in the Copper Country is that we have a lot of elders who are alone, isolated, uh, by necessity. The kids have moved away. They've had to find jobs, and they've they've built lives elsewhere. And so we have a lot of people here, I think a higher percentage than average, of seniors who don't get checked on regularly. How can a remote family member, someone who lives out of state or downstate, how can they keep track of mom and dad from a distance? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, You know, checking in with people regularly is is one of the best things you can do. If there's someone that you know that lives near them that can, you know, stop by. And right now during COVID, that's very difficult. But even a wave at the window. You know, there's a lot of electronics now um, that can work with, um, like Alexa and things like that, they're, they're set up that they can check in with our elderly friends and relatives. Um, and then if there's no movement or no sound, they can alert the family member who lives far away. Um, you know, those daily phone calls or, or um, visiting as much as possible um, is one of the best things you can do. And then there's also... In times of non-COVID life, um, you know, there's people that are willing to do friendly reassurance calls and visits. There's a lot of wonderful volunteers and communities um, that do do things like that. Yeah, our little brothers, Friends of the Elderly, is really wonderful about providing that kind of service among other groups here in the Copper Country. Um, Suppose that I do live far away, I can't get here, and I start to suspect there is a problem. Is it appropriate for me to perhaps call my mom or dad's physician? Will they take my call? We've got all of these medical privacy issues going on now with HIPAA and that kind of thing. Am I able to have that kind of communication with their medical caregiver? 
I certainly would investigate that if I were the family member that lived far away. Um, I'm certain that the medical care professional would at least take the information. They might not be able to discuss that particular um, case with with family member unless there has been proper paperwork and, um, you know, the necessary things that need to be in place before a caregiver can get information medically. It's become kind of a real Mm -hmm. hot button issue. Uh, in mm-hmm. our society recent, uh, in recent years as to how we can share information, medical information, uh, when we can and when we can't. Talking with Della Giuliano from UpCap, let's talk about the series of programs that you have coming up because I want to make sure that we give appropriate time to this because I think that this dementia training classes, and I put it on our calendar and I typed in the headline, dementia training class, and I thought, wait a minute, I don't think I need to be trained in how to have dementia. Uh, it looked it looked like it was coming out wrong, but for people who are in the lives of someone who is going through dementia, it's important for us to learn how to interact with them, isn't it? Oh, it's so important, and one of the best things that a caregiver can do for him or herself is to understand the illness or disease that the person that they're caring for has. Um, You know, having that knowledge just helps in so many different ways, um, being able to deal with symptoms. Um, You know, one of the most difficult things about dementia is just the vast the vast array of different signs and symptoms that the person can have. Many times it's behavioral, um, and sometimes it's so difficult for a caregiver without having the knowledge um, to deal with that kind of behavior. So, yes, we are offering a three-part series specifically for caregivers of people with dementia, Um, Each class is only an hour long, and we're doing all of our classes virtually right now. And the first class is a a dementia overview for family and friends. Um, The second class is planning activities for persons with dementia. And then the third one is understanding behavior and support needs of persons with dementia. Because I would imagine that the first thing you have to do here is learn how to adjust your expectations, what you expect from that person. You can't expect them to respond to you the way they used to. You can't expect them to have the cognitive knowledge that they used to anymore, can you? Absolutely right. Um, And, you know, the, the disease affects more than just memory, Um, There's the role of confusion and communication skills. Um, And, you know, our classes help provide strategies and techniques that are useful for those daily interactions with the people that, that are being cared for that have dementia. Yeah, because I suppose if you go to a person who is now in dementia and you try to get them to act the way they did 10 years ago, you're just going to get really frustrated and angry yourself. Yeah, not only not only will you get angry and frustrated, but it's very likely that it's going to cause confusion or anger or frustration for that person with dementia also. Um, you know, the, the behaviors and reactions that they have are caused by the disease or illness that they have. Um, you know, they're not trying to tell you the same story over and over again but they're just trying to communicate with you and they just don't know how to do it anymore the way they used to. So it is very tough. And and when a person has that knowledge and understanding of what may be causing, you know, the irrational or illogical behaviors, um, it just makes life so much easier. Um, Does it make it perfect? Oh, no. You know, caregiving for someone, especially, Especially someone with dementia is very, very challenging at best. Um, But just having that knowledge really, really helps a lot. How do you know when you can't take care of someone with dementia anymore? Um, I know, I have known married couples who 
have faced agonizing decisions, trying to say, well, I, I want him to stay home with me, or I want her to stay home with me, but they can't keep it up anymore. How do you know when that time comes, and how do you face it? That It's a really tough thing for people to face, um, and a really tough decision. I don't know that there's an easy answer for that question. I think the probably the, the wisest thing I've heard from caregivers who have faced that decision is you'll know. You know, you'll know when you can no longer do it physically or emotionally or mentally. Um, you know, sometimes just the physical challenge uh, gets to be too much. Um, as as dementia progresses, um, you know, there's a lot of physical work that needs to be done with a person. So, I is, think you, I think just you know, is, is there a time where an intervention may be necessary, where the kids have to get together and say to mom, "Hey, you just can't do it anymore. We need to make a change." Well, hopefully, it doesn't ever come down to an intervention. You know, if if the dementia is diagnosed early and the person who's caring for the person with dementia um, starts gathering support from family members or friends or community, um, you know, they can start developing a plan early on where everybody has a role and everybody knows what's going on in this team of people that are caregiving so that it's not just a surprise somewhere down the road um, to poor old mom who's been, you know, giving it her all. Um, you know, we like to encourage team building for caring for family members or friends. That's a great approach. I hadn't thought, okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that kind of foresight that, you know, when you first go into the process, you start to look ahead and say, okay, when we get to this level, we have to make a decision. And so we can at least anticipate that. That makes some sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It must also be challenging communicating with someone who has dementia in terms of uh, daily needs sometimes, in terms of health needs, if they have a pain or are ill and are not able to express any more effectively what's, what they're going through. How do you try to read that kind of situation? Well, there again, that, that'll be, you know, individual for between the caregiver and the person with dementia you know, knowing knowing that person with dementia um, so that you're able to understand those nods or those different kinds of signals that, that they may be able to give you. Um, and certainly there are some things that we, we know just from common sense even. Um, if somebody's shivering, that means they're cold. You know what I mean? Sure. So, so there's a lot of different ways that, that we all communicate all the time without having specific words or sentences or conversations. Um, so, you know, that too, it is, it's a learned technique. And, and oftentimes we don't even realize we're doing it when we're caring for someone. Um, and then, you know, that's one of the things that is covered um, in our dementia series also um, you know, learning how to assist people with dementia and how to communicate with them um, so that they are getting the daily support that they need. The series begins on January 12th, and it's a three-part series, and it runs on the 12th of January, the 19th of January, and then the 26th, so three consecutive weeks at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It is online. There is no cost for this, right? That's correct. All of our classes right now are free. Um, you do have to have a computer or a tablet or a smartphone with an Internet connection and an email address to attend our classes. Um, and then people do need to register in advance, and they can do that by visiting our website, which is www.upcap.org, and that's U-P-C-A-P, 
Or they can call 211 uh, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's Eastern time. And the people that uh, answer the call at 211 can assist them in registering. And also, you know, people can take the classes individually if they want. Uh, If they just want to take one of the classes, that is fine. I do strongly encourage people to take all three classes if they are at all able to, because the classes really do build upon one another. So if, if there's any way that people can take all three, that would be really advisable. And all three classes do need to be registered for individually also. Who specifically is this class designed for? Do you have to have a level of expertise to start, or is this for someone who has never dealt with someone who has dementia in the past? Well, you know, I think we've all probably dealt with someone with dementia in the past, whether we knew it or not. Um, you know, the, the person at church that you mentioned that told you the same story over and over again, you may have known that, that this person was suffering with dementia, but, you know, the person in the other pew might not have had that knowledge. Um, the, the person at the grocery store, oftentimes people we work with, um, are in beginning stages. You know, sometimes these beginning stages can last for years and years and years, And it is such a gradual progression that for a long time, we don't even really realize that there's anything unusual or different going on. Um, the, The classes that we offer... You don't have to be a seasoned caregiver. Um, you can be someone who's just starting out wanting to get the knowledge of dementia um, for the caregivers, you know, the family, the friends, anyone who wants to get more information and um, know how to respond better to the people in the world with dementia. And we're going to have to wrap it up there, Della. Thank you for the great information. Again, if you want to get involved in these classes, visit upcap.org. We also have information on our qnrreport.com community calendar about the classes and a link to upcap.org. So if you want to access it that way, you can as well. Best wishes, Della. Thank you for your time and thank you for your expertise. Thank you, Todd. Happy holidays. When our community is in need, the Portage Health Foundation is here to answer the call. In 2018, we were here on the front lines helping homeowners get their lives back. And now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're right here with the many nonprofits who help serve our community. We've provided funding to Senior Meals, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, and 31 Backpacks. We launched a Wi-Fi hotspot network to help families stay connected, and we have much more planned. If you want to donate to help our community's recovery, visit phfgive.org COVID-19 or call 523-5920. I hope you enjoyed this morning's Copper Country Today. Thanks again to our guests, Joe Cooper from the Copper Country Humane Society. Our 12 Dogs of Christmas promotion begins tomorrow. Listen for details on our stations or check our websites. And thanks to Della Giuliano from UpCap. We have details about the upcoming sessions on dealing with those with dementia posted on our QAnRReport.com community calendar. If you have a topic you think we should cover, email your suggestion to me at kreport at up.net. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Copper Country Today is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more about them and their mission at phfgive.org. This is a copyrighted public affairs production of Houghton Community Broadcasting.